God bless and welcome to this week's episode of Family Discussion. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Jesus teaches us in the Gospel of John that the world will know that we are his followers by the way that we love one another. And yet it seems like the love of Jesus is less and less evident in the way that we speak to and about one another, especially when we disagree. So, in the hopes of recapturing the brother-sister love that Jesus has won for us, we are calling a family meeting. For the next half hour, let's cut through the noise and look at the issues without slander and malice. It's time for a family discussion. God bless and welcome everyone to another episode of Family Discussion. We're so glad that you are here with us. My name is Marcos Ortega, and as always, I am with the brilliant Lisa Spencer. Lisa, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, We are kind of rapidly rushing towards the holiday season, so um, all of that craziness. I'm um, As listeners know, I'm a pastor, and so this is we're heading into the busy season. Um, but also a season of a lot of firsts. We planted our church in April, so this is our first holiday season, and I'm pretty oh, excited awesome. about that. First Advent, first Christmas Eve service, the whole thing. So I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How about you? How are you been speaking and doing some stuff? I, you- I did. I, I uh, just spoke at a women's retreat. It was actually their first retreat, and uh, which was interesting because I also spoke at a women's conference in April and it was their first conference. So I'm like, well, I guess maybe I'm just the breaker in of women's conferences and retreat. I don't know. <laughs> but I love it because, you know, these are smaller churches. And it's just, it's just a delight to be around women that are just hungry for Jesus, you know. Awesome. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a, it was a good time. Um but, you know, I was a little tired afterwards, but I guess that's that's par oh, for the sure. course. No, those retreats can be long and brutal, but they're but they are. They're fun. You're with a bunch of people who love the Lord and some intense time um, with the Holy yes. Spirit there. And that, that's really cool. Um, so today is a special episode that I'm very excited about. We have yes. another guest with us. Um, and, and in way of introducing, I want to make explicit what we've kind of implied just by doing. Um, throughout this podcast, and that is is, uh, one of the foundational uh, beliefs or convictions of our podcast is that both men and women have something to offer in theological and biblical conversations, Um, that we don't just allow women into the conversation, but that we invite them and encourage them and want them to be a part of what we're doing. and that's why it's a man and a woman on this podcast. It's why we're both bringing our own um, education and knowledge and passions to the fore when we're talking about these things. Um, and that shouldn't be a controversial statement. And yet, it is often a controversial statement when you say we want women at the table talking about theology and the Bible and society and everything else in the world, right? For some reason, that's controversial. And this controversy, which never really goes dormant, is always just kind of there waiting for the next thing to explode, exploded again a couple of months ago 
when a new book was released by our guest. Rachel Green Miller is the author of Beyond Authority and Submission, Women and Men in Marriage, Church, and Society. She's a member in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church for non-Presbyterian folks. Um, I'm in the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. To the conservative side of me is Lisa in the Presbyterian Church in America, and to the conservative side of her is the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. It's kind of happens. Um, so anybody who wants to send us a tweet or an email saying we're having a liberal on just doesn't know what the OPC is. Um, but Lisa, <laughs> Rachel Green Miller is a member of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church. She's been blogging for a long time, um, been really involved in some of the controversies that have happened in Presbyterianism for the last couple of years, and is now the new co-host of Theology Gals, uh, a podcast that a lot of the women in my church really, really love. So um, Please welcome with me to the podcast, Miss Rachel Green Miller. Mrs. Miller, how are you today? Thank you so much for having me on here. It's quite an honor. Uh, I'm doing great. I actually just got back from speaking at a women's retreat in Canada. You're talking about being at one. It was my first time to do one. It was uh, as a speaker. I've been to several as a attendee. And yeah, it was great. It's a great time to get away and see the sights and meet some nice people. That's awesome. That's awesome. I've never been to Canada and uh, I'm, I'm now in New York. So it's, it's a little bit of not an excuse anymore. I have to get up to Canada at some point. Yeah. You're right next door. And interestingly, by, so the church where the PCA church where my husband and I attend now, we're not members yet. Um, but our, the, the pastor is Canadian. Oh, so awesome. we get we get a little whiff of Canada every now. And then. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, Rachel, um, we're just going to ask you a few questions, and then really we want to get into, um, I think, a, a longer conversation about the way that women are treated or approached on social media or in local churches when you start to broach topics of theology and especially some of the controversial things that are happening because you've um, you've taken a lot of heat, you've taken a lot of hits. Um, it's been it's been painful to see the way that you've been treated on social media, um, but the whole reason this is happening is because you're a writer. And so I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit what got you into writing. Why why start writing at all, much less about things like theology and biblical matters like that? What took you here? Well, I always wanted to be a writer. You know, kids have dreams and things that they just really wanted to do. And you know, I wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be to, to have a family, and I always wanted to be a writer. So kind of in the back of my mind, there's been that desire to write about something. And um, I grew up in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor, and he was Southern Baptist when we were growing up. He joined the PCA when I was a teenager. So I was in the PCA for 25 years. And just actually, I'm fairly new to the OPC. We, we joined this year, uh, the church that we're in. But um, so the, theological discussions have always been a part of my life. Uh, and you know, my mom, my dad, it's an extended family. We sit around and talk about things that are interesting in our lives, and we get around to theology pretty often. And about 10 years ago, uh, I started blogging. Of course, everybody was blogging then. And I started noticing some things in the church that I was concerned about, things that were just topics of, of concern for me about um, and, and really from a perspective as, you know, just a person in the pews, right? Like, um, my, my husband's not ordained, you know, we're, we're just church members going to church on the Sunday and active. But, you know, I was looking at some of the things that were being taught in various doctrines and uh, 
concerns and and my concern was what the effect on people the average people you know that that debates are not just academic they're not just esoteric you know ivory tower discussions these are things that happen in real life to people and have an effect on their lives and the way I got into writing about, um, in particular about this book, about Beyond Authority and Submission, you know, I'm a homeschooling mom, and I <laughs> became really aware of some of the resources that are out there for homeschoolers, especially, and conservative uh, women, a lot of the books that are written and directed at women. And there's this this hyper-focus on authority and submission. So all the discussions are about authority and submission and the discussions about women are all about how we're supposed to submit in marriage and which is good and true right but when that's the only discussion and that's the only point that we're making and then in the church that you know everything was about women shouldn't be ordained and while I agree there has to be more than that in our discussions about what are what role we have as lay men and women in the church what what we have to offer and how our gifts are used and so between the theology side and my, my background in history, I started looking at some of the, the common themes with what's being taught and what I knew from history and the Greeks and the Romans and the Victorians and just looking at these, these ways that very traditional cultural ideas have become kind of ingrained in our beliefs uh, to the point that we think they're biblical uh, about men and women. And I just wanted to, to talk to people about it and, and kind of peel back some of those, those layers and get back to you know, what the Bible teaches and how we can, can work together as men and women. And so that's, I guess, how I got into my book. Yeah. And, and you know, I think I want to first commend the book. Um, it's a, it's not a super long book. It's not a super technical book. It is a book written to the lay reader by a lay person. And that's really valuable. Um, I, I think that too often, the, the lay perspective is missed because we're often reading just pastors and scholars. We're not reading the folks in the pews. And too, too many people in the pews assume that they don't have anything to offer in the conversation. And that's just not true. Um, and, you know, Rachel, you've been, you've been blogging for a while on some pretty heady theological issues. Um, for those who are interested in going and reading, it's called um, the blog itself is called The Daughter of the Reformation. Um, and you can just go to rachelgreenmiller.com and you can read her work there. But um, you've, you've dived into some deep waters and some controversies. So how did you begin learning some of the theological language and theological concepts that are out there? Because I think that your journey into theological writing is the journey that most people are called to because most people aren't called to ordain ministry. Right. Um, you know, like I said, being in a pastor's family, you know, a lot of the discussions, you know, you hear about a lot of what's going on um, with my dad and being in the PCA for as long as we we were, you know, knowing a lot of the guys that are in these discussions and hearing about things. And, you know, I got into some of the first stuff I got into writing about was concerned about new perspective on Paul. And, um, you know, we, I'd kind of run up against some of it personally. Um, and some of the others, it was just a matter of, you know, finding the experts, reading the books that are being written, looking to see some of the explanations that are out there for the lay reader about what, what the stakes are, what's going on. Um, you know, I've always loved history, so the, the, the links between these discussions and historical theology were 
were uh, compelling to me. So the, the ways in which, like when we get into the Trinity debate, the ways in which, you know, I was familiar with the original, like the formations of the creeds and confessions. And, and so, you know, getting into how these things play out, um, it was just a process of um, really self-education and just looking for where, where I could find resources, where I could listen to what someone was saying about what's going on and, and reading various sides until I could kind of get a feel. And then I usually have, I have a few, um, you know, good uh, pastor scholar friends that when I'm, I get tied up on something, I go to them privately. I'm like, okay, so here's the question. And what's the deal? You know, how do I understand this? Uh, I, I feel bad. I think I've had republication explained to me several times at this point because <laughs> I'm like, all right, wait, so what? what? <laughs> so have I. <laughs> Which uh, side? <laughs> oh, the republication debate. We, yeah. 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 We'll, so. Uh, with that one today. <laughs> right. So, you know, and that's a lot of it. It's just going back to, to reading what's out there and trying to, to keep up with, you know, various resources. I like to read Matthew Henry uh, and Calvin on, as well as more modern to see both, see different perspectives on, on different issues. So, so you've, you've done a lot of the research, you've written this mm-hmm. book. Um, and as you were saying, before we started recording this book, it's taken years to put together and to finally be in our hands. Um, the book drops and, chaos ensues afterward um so much so that you've left twitter um as of now do you have plans to go back ever you think or is that not yet not yet well it hasn't gotten any calmer i can tell you that (laughs) no no but um it's gotten really insane um the some of the pushback on this book and one of the things I want to kind of, rather than really kind of go through this book, I'd rather people go read it. I want to commend it to folks to find it and read it because I think it is a really um, a helpful way to especially encapsulate where we are right now in this debate around gender. Um, and then your your main theme, push us beyond categories of authority of submission to say, what, how are women and men to work together in the church, in the home, in society? Um, and start really moving the conversation into that um, into that direction. So I recommend people read it. And as you read it, you'll probably wonder what all the chaos is about. Um, and yet there was chaos. And so I, I want to ask, as you've been writing about theological, biblical things, how have you, I mean, this is going to sound really very elementary question. How have you been received by the broader, and let's just kind of narrow it into the reformed community that we all kind of live in. Have you been received into that community? And, and has that surprised you? Have, were you prepared for it? Just walk us through that a little bit. Um, I'd have to say that, that on the whole, despite the, the Twitter craziness, on the whole, the, the kind of responses that I get have been mostly positive. Like most of the people in most of what I've written over time have been appreciative. People write me and say, thank you pretty regularly. Men and women, I hear across them both. Um, <clears throat> I have a number of pastor friends around the country who I'm in touch with. And, and I, so I have a good relationship as a writer with a lot of these places. That said, um, there are certain pockets of uh, the reformed world that 
do not like what I have to say. Um, don't appreciate it. And having written the last 10 years and, and coming into it, even from the beginning into kind of controversy, um, you know, after a while, you know what to expect, you know, where it's going to come from, you know, who's going to say it before the book came out. I, I was prepped for it. Like I knew and I honestly have not been surprised, right? There's yeah. no one who said something, there's nothing, no pushback that I've received that wasn't like, oh, I didn't really expect it from that society. You know, everything has been, yeah, that's pretty much where I expected it from and what I expected to hear. So on that side, it was as expected and predictable. But um, it's disheartening. Uh, it's It's hard. You know, I... I do take very seriously my commitments to orthodoxy, to my commitments to the confessions and to the Reformed faith. And, um, you know, I, my, my book itself, I mean, besides the editing process, I had, you know, a number of pastors who read it and endorsed it, the Reformed guys who have good, solid reputations, because I think it was important to make sure that I wasn't going off the reservation somewhere. And I, because I don't want to, you know, I want to be right. faithful. Yeah. So, you know, that said, getting off Twitter, probably the last impetus was the Twitter craziness that erupted and just being tired of being called various names and, um, you know, feeling like anything I said was being parsed and, and diced and, and fought against. And I just, I had already just thought before that, that it would be good to get away for a while just yeah. for my own <laughs> mental sanity and, and get the perspective that there's a whole world out there that has no idea what's going on in reformed Twitter land, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah and, 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 you know, and, and as we were talking before the recording that unfortunately Twitter has become a somewhat of a toxic place and which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also, it also mentioned, I, you know, whereas Marcos had read, has read the book, I haven't. However, I did read some of the reviews. And one of the common themes that I saw was some of the, you know, the, the more unfavorable views was that you weren't, you know, that you weren't really dealing with the topic honestly. And, and, and maybe honestly is, is a stretch, but it was, you know, there are places where you could have explained more that, you know, you kind of, um, you know, uh, build on secondary resources. And there was this one particular review. It was very long. <laughs> and as I was reading, I'm not going to cite the source. Um, and it's usually, you know, and it comes from someone I pretty much respect. But I kept reading and reading, and I was, and 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 the question popped in my head, as does the question of, you know, sort of the more negative responses of, you know, it's too thin, she didn't research adequately, and my question is this: Would you have said the same thing about a male writer writing about a topic? that you're more favorable to. And particularly when I was reading this long review, I kept reading, I was like, why is this so long? It's a book review. You're not supposed to be writing a dissertation on a book review. Um, 
And it just like that question popped in because, of course, as you can imagine, and especially as a you know conservative, reformed female who has gone to seminary, I've had my own set of experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the question I asked, like, is, you know, so there's a part of it where we want to be honest with, you know, w- with with critique. You know, mm-hmm. we want to be able to, you know, you know, give and take re- critique. but you know, is there this sort of extra burden that is placed on women who, and of course at this, I'm I'm probably asking a rhetorical question, but, you know, is there this, this extra burden that's placed on women that strive to articulate theology? And it's almost like saying, you know, maybe you shouldn't worry your pretty little head about that. Um, so let's make sure that our critique is a little extra intense because it might come from a place that, you know, I don't want to assign motives, right? I don't, mm-hmm. I don't know the thoughts and intent of a person's heart, but you know, when I, when I, when I read some of the critiques, when I saw some of the, you know, the pushback on Twitter and read the reviews, I, I almost got the sense that, you know, we want to, it, it, it came across a, a little extra harsh, you know, that made me think, I don't, if this were a male, would it, would they have received the same kind of critique? Hmm. So. You know, it's interesting you say that. Um, when I first started writing in theology, I actually wrote under a male pseudonym, which is oh. not widely known. Um because I wanted it to be about what I was saying and not who I was, you know. And it, what's interesting is I wrote under the male pseudonym. I interacted under my, my own name. Um, and so, or both at times. And what was interesting is under my male pseudonym and under my, uh, as the, the guy, I got a lot different a lot of different reactions from men and a lot more respect and a willingness to discuss me where often if I commented as myself, I was ignored. And, you know, I, I didn't set out to do it, you know, like, you know, haha trick, it's me. But just, just so it was not, I didn't want to get into who I was, what church I was in. I just wanted, you know, some privacy and some anonymity. And I, I felt like it, it would be better that way for, at first. And it was, it was very, um, <laughs> was very instructive about what was really going on uh, at times. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, I watched a, a biopic about the Bronte sisters a couple years ago. And there's a quote when they sit down and they're deciding about what to write or how to write, how to publish. And they decide to, to publish under male names. Each of the Bronte sisters had a male pseudonym. And the quote that they give her, give Emily, is, when a man writes something, it's what he's written that's judged. When a woman writes something, it's her that's judged. And I just sat there and I looked at it. I paused it. I ran it back. I'm like, yeah. You know, that's, that's the experience. And for myself and for the other uh, women authors that I've talked with, again and again, you know, this is what we're dealing with. It's not just what we say. It's that we're a woman saying it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's frustrating to have to make a defense not only of what we believe and what we're saying, but that we have a right to say it and we have a place to say it. Um, 
that there's any benefit to us being there as well as having to, you know, give a pretty extensive list of, you know, why we're Orthodox and, and, and confessional and reform up front before they can even hear us. Right. Uh, it's frustrating. Yeah. And, and I would say, you know, so, you know, so I went to Dallas seminary. I was there six years. I was in the THM program. Um, so after a while feeling like a piece of furniture, but you know, since it is the more <laughs> intense, you know, intense degree and my focus was on systematic theology. So a lot of the classes I was, I mean, very much, there were hardly any women. I mean, there was one, um, one class, um, a number of classes, my electives, I may have been like one of two, one mm-hmm. of three. There was one uh, systematic theology colloquium. I was the only female. Um, for the most part, I was, I was well received by both my professors and my classmates only because, you know, I'm not trying to or look, you know, be Shira, you know, the theological <laughs> Shira, anything. Look, I'm just there. I'm just there to learn. I'm, you know, I want to engage with the material. And, you know, for the most part, like, like, you know, my male classmates respected that. Occasionally, I would come across one who, for the most part, didn't. And maybe they had not been in a class with me before. But it's this sense of, you know, I, I did at times and I was I was fortunate that it was there, there were only a handful of times it was, a, you know, it was a very condescending approach mm-hmm. that, you know, when if I said something, there was the talking down as if I, I did not have the capacity, you know, to understand these, you know, significant theological concepts. And it was, and it's, and it's, un, it's an unfortunate assumption. Another thing that I encountered, not just in seminary, but I see this online as well. For whatever reason, there is this impulse to want to put women in their place, and perhaps this is where you know where you know where that pushback stems from. Because like you said, it's not just, um, you know, we're, uh, I'm interacting with a peer in terms of these ideas, but I'm interacting with someone that really shouldn't even be talking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I have experienced that as well. And especially when you're talking about a topic about authority and submission. Um, I remember in my my fourth semester of Greek, we went through the book of Ephesians and we got to Ephesians 5, 21 through, you know, through, through 33. And I love what the professor said in a room like of mostly guys. He said, notice that Paul doesn't tell the man to tell the woman to submit. He tells the woman to submit. And yet, you know, what we encounter is the man telling the woman to submit. It, who's, who's not his wife, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, is it's sort of a, a, you know, like you said, there, there are certain pockets that mm-hmm. you just find this type of mentality in where, you know, it's like, so, you know, so what does that say about how you value women? You know, and especially if you're coming from a complementarian perspective and you're saying, look, 
I'm not trying to be a pastor. I'm not even trying to, I'm not even trying to preach to men, right? I know that's mm-hmm. a whole controversial topic. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to love Jesus and trying to, you know, love him with, with, with my whole being, including mm-hmm. my mind. Um, you know, what does that say about how women are valued that, you know, we're like, we, we can't think theologically yep. and even about controversial topics. Um, so it does, it, it does get a little frustrating, a, a little disturbing when you see that kind of, when you see that kind of pushback. Well, you know, it's interesting you talk about being in seminary, you know, one of the, one of the kind of, I, I feel like it's a catch 22 in a lot of these discussions is that, you know, I'm writing in my educational background is I have a bachelor's degree in, in history, right? That's my formal education. Um, and so, you know, some of the charges are that I don't have the the seminary background, the theological background to write about these issues uh, like I should if I'm going to treat these issues with the right level of, of respect. But at the same time, many of the women then who have the degrees, when you have a degree, then they say, oh, see, you're a feminist because you went and got this degree, right? <laughs> and I'm like, so so which is it? Can I, do I have the degree and I have a place to talk or I don't have the degree? So, you know, I'm not trying to do something that inappropriate, right? I just, and not that it is, but, you know, I'm not, I'm just here, right? I'm just me writing as a lay person. But then, you know, that I'm not a serious theologian. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're just stuck. There's There's no right answer to that. Well, and it's, there's this mentality out there, um, you know, it, it was it was encapsulated at a conference not long ago when an incredibly famous pastor told a woman to go home. What a lot of what I'm hearing you guys share is that some of the response and the way the response is given to women when they do enter into the sphere, they may not just give a two word answer like go home when your name is brought up. But that's basically what they're saying. This is not your place. Um, you, you don't have entrance here. This is our little boys club where we get to talk about theology. Um, and girls aren't allowed to come in. You have to stay outside. And, um, I, I wonder, I'm, I mean, honest question. Why do you keep going when this is kind of the constant drumbeat that you receive, um, now online, I want to ask about local church in, in a minute, but mm. when you're receiving this online, why do you keep going? I, t- <laughs> I told my husband once that if I could just keep my mouth shut, <laughs> <laughs> it would be so much easier at times. <laughs> and he's and he's like, but you can't. And that's the thing. I just, I can't. And the reason I keep talking about it is, well, well, it's frustrating for me, right? It's frustrating to, to, ha- to be treated this way and to have people, Uh, saying what they're saying about me publicly. Mostly in my life, talking about, you can move into local church issue on this, but mostly in my life, I don't face these issues. I I have a pastor who respects me. I have a husband who respects me. I have a father who respects me. You know, I have people around me who, who value me as a person and my, and my abilities. And so this is not my life. But there are so many women in so many churches, in so many homes, that this is their daily life. This is what they're up against. And I want them to know that I see them, and I'm concerned for them, and I want them to know that there's a better way. And so that's why I keep doing it. Wow. Thank that's you great. for sharing that. That's, that is 
I, I hope that anybody who is listening to this, who hears that is encouraged by that. Um, at least I want to ask you kind of the same question. What keeps you going? Cause you, you've, you've gotten some heat in some of your writings. Um, especially when we get to, I probably shouldn't use the word intersection, right? But when mm-hmm. we get to the collision of gender and race, um, you've, you've had quite a bit of run-ins as well. So why do you keep pressing in? Yeah. And you know, and the funny thing is, you know, the one thing that I say I'm not, I don't want to write about is actually those are two things that I said I didn't want to write about because I'm just like it, because it gets so explosive. Um, and so I found it, it's interesting the past few years, you know, not only have I been writing, but I also had an opportunity to do some speaking um, on this topic. I'm like, what, what, this is, you know, <laughs> the topics I'm trying to avoid. But, you know, I, I think what really motivates me, uh, aside from just, you know, because you love the Lord and because you care about his word and you care about how that applies to people. Um, what what gets me to talk about things that I'd rather not talk about is because of the dishonest way that people treat it. You know, especially when you're building up straw men, when you're creating false dichotomies, when you are, you know, um, um, you know, uh, doling out um, uh, just really unfair accusations at people. Like, wait a minute, I don't think you're really interacting with this fairly and honestly. And so that's when I, you know, that's when I tend to speak up, um, you know, just because of dishonest treatment. Well, and, and that's the, the dishonest treatment is one of the things I want to get to here. And it's, it's a, it's a charge, Rachel, against you out of this book. Um, that is for someone who's a little bit outside the complementarian debates, it's a little bit weird for me to see this charge thrown at you mainly because um, I don't know when egalitarian became the worst thing a Christian could possibly become. Um, That's, that's always fun to hear that bandied about is like, Oh no, don't become an egalitarian. But one of the things that has been charged to you and to the, some of the people who, uh, have endorsed the book. So I'm looking at the book here and, you know, the raging feminist Liam Gallagher and the <laughs> Gloria Steinem superfan Carl Truman. Um, you know, these these right. pastors who are as complementarian as it gets, um, they, you're all being labeled closet egalitarians, um, which seems like a, a bizarre charge when a, in a handful of places in your book, you bring out that you don't see women called to the ordained ministry, that that's limited to men. Um, you don't deny authority and submission as uh, aspects of a Christian marriage, or uh, you're just saying it's more than that, um, right. which somehow is mind-blowing to people. Um, I- I'm curious, can you just, for those who uh, have missed every other time you've done this, can you give us a bit of a um, distinction between your positions that you're bringing out in this book and the egalitarian view? Uh, because as an egalitarian reading this book, I am not confused. <laughs> you're, you're pretty clear you're not an egalitarian. So what, what is the difference between your view and the egalitarian view? Well, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I think the two main points where we would have disagreement is that um, I see, uh, looking at Ephesians and other places in Scripture, that there is a place of uh, a husband's headship in marriage, that there is 
uh, husbands are called to sacrificial servant leadership in the home uh, and that wives are called to submit to that leadership. Um, and the other one would be that I think that uh, only uh, qualified men should be ordained in the church. And those two right there should be enough to say, I'm not an egalitarian. Like that's like classic difference between what I believe in an egalitarian position. So I mean, it's, it's so yeah. Um, <laughs> so if you're if you're not into ordaining women, and if there if the man has the leadership role in a marriage, then though that is not egalitarianism. Um, and it would be like um, looking at somebody who's eating sausage and bacon and saying, you know what, you're a closet vegan. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> they're not. They're they're a full blown meat eater. Um, you are a complementarian. Um, and and so I wonder. How, how do you take that charge that you're actually like an egalitarian in sheep's clothing and you're out to try and wreck complementarians? Because I've seen folks use this kind of rhetoric about your writing. Yeah. Um, most commonly, I'm either called a feminist or an egalitarian or a thin complementarian. Um, there's a variety of others. Liberal, that one was interesting too. I'm like, and, and mainly what it, it's name calling because each of those terms have actual meanings, right? They, I, I wrote a blog post on it a couple years ago now. I got really frustrated one day and I'm like, oh, fine, I'm just going to say it. So it's, no, I'm not a feminist or egalitarian. It's the name of the blog post. And I go through all of what I believe and why and how it means I'm not one. And, you know, make a point in there that feminist doesn't just mean uh, a woman I disagree with, right? Or a woman who I wish would stop talking now, right? This, there's, it has actual meanings, right? And so does egalitarian. And the name calling though, it really does. It's, it's indicative of most of what's going on or going wrong in a lot of the discussions right now. We categorize and we name call and then we shut down discussions. So you can say, if I can paint you as my opponent as this category, then we don't have to talk anymore. And, you know, that's, that's lazy. And it's, as you know, as Lisa was saying, it's dishonest. Well, and it's, it's beneath, it's beneath the Christian. Hmm. I mean, let's just, I mean, I'll, I'll be straight about it. It's sinful. And it is beneath the Christian um, to label someone in order to dismiss them. Um, and, and, you know, I, I think one of the things that has, it, I mean, it prompted this podcast existing, our inability to talk and to hear what somebody's actually saying. Um, so that if you disagree with something that, uh, you know, a brother like Denny Burke says something and you disagree that that suddenly makes you wanting to lead the OPC into the green pastures of egalitarianism or something like, like it's, it's absolutely insane. insane. You can't disagree with somebody without being a threat. And, and that's um, really disheartening because it does, it shuts down conversation. Lisa, you've seen this too. Mm -hmm. When you disagree with the camp you are assumed to be a threat to the camp. A threat. Mm -hmm. Yes, very, very much so. And unfortunately, that's, you know, it's the nature of social media. And, mm -hmm. you know, and this is why I, you know, I really believe like you have to be very intentional about how you engage with social media. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of folks aren't. And so what we're doing is we're treating, you know, we're treating people not according to their humanity, 
but according to our ideas about them, you know, and once you transgress, so we, you know, so we sort of build up these little boxes, these um, towers of, you know, of, of ideological perfection, if you will. And once somebody transgresses that, well, they're the enemy. Hmm. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about a brother and sister in Christ who holds to the same essential truths about, you know, about God, about salvation. Um, it, it doesn't matter. You know, once you transgress, you know, our, our tribal ethos, well, then you're now an enemy of the church. It needs to be taken down. And unfortunately, I think this is why Twitter has become such the toxic place that it has. It becomes holy war, right? So it doesn't matter, you know, how you treat your opponents because you're on the right, you're on the side of right and you can do what you want. And it just gets very ugly. It does. And, and so you've made the, um, the decision that probably more and more people should consider making (laughs) to to leave Twitter. Um, yeah, us included. You're right, Lisa. I hear you. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, Rachel, I, I want to maybe end with a little bit more of a, a positive note on this because while social media can be a, a quagmire, um, mm-hmm. you're you're in a local church and you're serving in a local church. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about the way that you've been received in your local church, the way that. Um, maybe your session or your pastor has been able to come alongside you through this process, even how your husband has been able to, you know, walk this with you. Cause I can't imagine what it is to see your wife slandered repeatedly online in public. Um, that's, and someone was doing that to my wife. I, I, man, horses would have to hold me back. <laughs> so, um, I'm curious if you could tell us uh, some of the positive support you received, um, in person from folks and how that's also been a, a, a nice piece of, of this whole world. Well, it certainly is not fun for my husband to hear and to, to see the things that are said about me. Now he, he, uh, he has made the very wise decision. He isn't on Twitter. He's barely on social media at all. So he doesn't see it unless I show it to him at this point. So he's, you know, it, the nice thing about that is, is our discussions can, can be totally unrelated to anything going on. It's because it's not, you know, our day-to-day life. But um, in fact, someone asked at the women's retreat, my husband went with me. So we took a little vacation. He was then with me and he and the pastor of the local church and another one of the guys were there for the talks. And, uh, you know, so I told him he's now been to a women's retreat that he can add that to his resume of things he's done. Um, But it was great to have him there. And one of the women at the retreat asked him if, you know, he's, if what kind of responses he's gotten, right? Have these guys that disagree with me, have they come after him? And he, he laughed and said, they don't know how to find me, you know, which, which is true. He's just not on anything. So, you know, he's been very supportive and helpful. Um, I call him my calm in the storm. Um, but in addition to that, my, uh, the pastor, my pastor's Todd Bordeaux, he's a good man. Uh, he's been very, uh, he's been through the ringer himself, he knows. And so he's, uh, he calls, checks on in on me and see how things are going. And when different reviews came in, he'd, he'd send me a note, hey, you doing okay today? And, you know, um, encouraged me about how to respond, how not to respond. And um, he and the session, they've been praying for me and talking to me about things. And it's been very supportive, very helpful, very kind. 
uh, and I'm very thankful. And I do want to say for all, for the guys that are out there that are very loud and are very unkind, there are more good men who have been kind and faithful and supportive and helpful over the years and even recently. And I really appreciate them. Awesome. Well, I want to um, I want to thank you for not just being on today for this episode, but I want to thank you for your writing. Um, your, your work on the Trinity controversy was really, really helpful. Um, and so I've, I've known of your writing for a little while now, and I just want to say thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the book. Um, thank you for Theology Gals, um, because I, I, I know that's been going on since before you got there, but um, I'm excited about the, the series that you're in right now, going through um, some of the kind of the theology and the, the basic theology of, of the faith, which is going to be really, really uh, a great series. Um, so Rachel Green Miller is our guest today. Beyond Authority and Submission is the book. Um, encourage you to pick it up. Not at Amazon, right, Lisa? No, not at Amazon. All right. Uh, support <laughs> support your Christian publishers. That's, that's right. That's my spiel for the day. Support Christian support. publishers. Tish Warren, we got your back. Um, but yeah, so Rachel, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, it was a joy to have you today. Hopefully uh, we can have you back again to talk about something that's a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you so much for being a part of this episode of Family Discussion, and we look forward to seeing you next week. Well, thank you again for joining us for this week's Family Discussion. If you'd like to learn more or catch up on episodes you missed, head on over to our home at reformedmargins.com. There you'll find great content about a whole host of issues that we pray will bless your relationship with Jesus, including articles written by Lisa Spencer and me, Marcos Ortega. Family Discussion is a podcast of Reform Margins, a site dedicated to providing a platform for people of color to engage the larger Reformed and Evangelical conversations. Your hosts are Marcos Ortega and Lisa Spencer. Our producer is Larry Lynn. Family Discussion is hosted by Podbean and recorded with Audacity. If you like what you heard today, it would be a great help to us if you gave a quick review and rating on iTunes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite content so that you don't miss our next Family Discussion.